of January, the Feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Let's pray for her intercession today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, you called St. Elizabeth Ann to the life of wife and mother. Bless all wives and mothers with the gifts of wisdom and love. You called St. Elizabeth Ann to enter fully into the life of the church. Teach all catechumens and candidates the wisdom of your word. You called St. Elizabeth Ann to leave the familiar world of family life to found a religious congregation for the service of your people in charity. Bless the Sisters of Charity for their faithful service and send many workers into the harvest in our day. O Lord our God, word of truth, you illumined St. Elizabeth Ann Seton with the light of your presence and the love of your people. Through her example and intercession, teach us to know you, to follow you, and to serve you who are Christ the Lord. Amen. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. It is a better way to start a Thursday, the Sunrise Morning Show, here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running. You can check that out on our Facebook page and YouTube Link it through sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll talk more about Mother Seton with Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who literally wrote the Encyclopedia of U.S. Catholic History, so he'd be a, a person to talk to about that. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow has been going through his book, A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament, with us, and today we're all the way up to the book of Song of Songs. We'll discuss the importance of caroling as we head towards the 12th day of Christmas with Dr. John Cutterback, and then pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, as the Holy Father has called us to better appreciate diversity in the church and uh, the fact that we come from a church that somehow manages to have Latin America and Africa and Ireland and Italy all in the same building on a Sunday. Uh, Kevin will share some thoughts on uh, you know, maybe better ways to appreciate those who we wouldn't naturally get along with. So, stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Israeli Defense Forces says it's destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa Hospital complex. The IDF raided the facility in November as it searched for an alleged Hamas command center. Israeli troops found tunnels and a bunker, but not a command center. The IDF released video yesterday showing explosions between buildings, but Israel said the blast did not damage the hospital. U.S. officials have said they're confident Hamas used the hospital to hold some hostages taken on October 7th and to house a command infrastructure. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again prayed for an end to wars around the world. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones has more. Pope Francis asked for prayers for the tragedy taking place in Palestine and Israel and the war in Ukraine, now almost in its third year. At the same time, he said we must remember victims of war in so many other parts of the world, asking in particular that we not forget our Rohingya brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. In Palestine, Israel, 
When addressing pilgrims from Poland, Pope invited the faithful to remember people on the move due to war and poverty and prayed that God may grant us a heart sensitive to the needs of the poor, refugees, and victims of war. After his catechesis in English, Pope offered prayers for victims and rescuers of those affected by the earthquake in Japan, remembering also those workers killed in the airplane collision in Tokyo. The death toll in the New Year's earthquake has risen to 64, but the situation is very unstable. Japan's meteorological agency has warned of possible dangerous aftershocks. The quake reached an estimated magnitude of 7.6, striking the Noto Peninsula on New Year's Day, causing significant destruction. On Tuesday, a Japan Airlines Airbus collided with a Coast Guard aircraft loaded with emergency goods for earthquake-hit areas and killing four of five of the Coast Guard crew on board. All 379 Japan Airlines passengers and crews survived, quickly escaping the fiery crash in time via evacuation slides. Archbishop Tarsisius Isao Kikuchi of Tokyo has assured local church support for those affected by the earthquake, and the church has activated its emergency response support team that works together with Caritas Japan. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Pope Francis, in his catechesis at the general audience yesterday, continued his new series on vices and virtues. Vatican News reports the Holy Father this week focused on spiritual combat, saying the Christian life is one of continuous combat. He said, quote, spiritual combat leads us to closely look at those vices that chain us and to walk with the grace of God towards those virtues that can bloom in us bringing the spring of the spirit into our life, end quote. The Federal Reserve is likely done with rate hikes. Members of a key Fed committee predicted rate cuts in 2024, but pointed out more uncertainty than usual for its next move. That's according to new meeting minutes from December. After its last meeting of 2023, the panel voted to hold interest rates at the highest level in more than two decades. But officials, including Fed Chair Jerome Powell, said the economy is, quote, likely at or near the peak rate. House Republicans will hold impeachment hearings against Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of the southern border. Mark Mayfield has the story. Mayorkas said he'll cooperate with the inquiry. He stressed, however, how he is focused on his job, including negotiating with senators on border policy changes to address the surge in asylum seekers arriving from Mexico. The DHS secretary says he's hopeful an immigration fix will occur. The House Homeland Security Committee is expected to hold its first impeachment hearing on January 10th. I'm Mark Mayfield. Scientists say they have developed a new kind of antibiotic to treat dangerous bacteria resistant to most current medicines. The bacteria can cause serious lung, urinary tract, and blood infections, according to the CDC. The researchers from Harvard University and Swiss healthcare company Hoffman LaRoche say the new antibiotic can effectively kill that bacteria. And a 13-year-old from Oklahoma is reported to be the first person ever to beat the original Tetris on the Nintendo Entertainment System. The teen, who goes by the nickname Blue Scooty on social media, posted a video on YouTube showing him appearing to defeat the famous falling block puzzle game. The record was previously held by an AI bot. 
He was about 38 minutes into playing the game when he realized he was close to beating it and finally reaching the kill screen. I was not Whoa. aware you could beat Tetris. I know. I guess I never got that far. I certainly didn't. All Tetris did for me was make me better at packing a car. Personally. Um, for me, it was doing loading the dishwasher. Well, when you're playing too much Tetris, though, you're like looking around a room and thinking to yourself, if I could just rotate that shelf and bring it down, I could clear a line in this living room. I know, right? If only real life worked that way. Only real life were more like Tetris. Actually, did you ever see the Tetris movie that came out? No. Like last year? No. It is wild. Huh. Uh, We take Tetris for granted, but the way that Tetris came to be is crazy. Oh, is that what this is about? Soviet Russia and this was what was this like a documentary oh it's not a documentary it's a biopic of the guy who made tetris really it's wild yeah send me info on this i'm kind of interested you should check it out Well, today is Thursday, January the 4th, and we are happy to have you along with us here on the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's nine past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you. It is good to have you, and we'll be discussing St. Elizabeth Ann Seton today, whose feast day is January 4th, the first American-born saint. Doc, just to start us off, when it comes to the most important figures in American Catholic history, where would you rank Elizabeth Ann Seton? I think Elizabeth Ann Seton ranks as one of the towering figures in American Catholic history. We have some very important figures, such as John Carroll, the first bishop and archbishop of Baltimore, I think Elizabeth Ann Seton ranks up there with him. Uh, It's hard to, in some ways, overestimate her importance simply because of the influence that she had in establishing the Catholic parochial school system, the care for orphanages, but also as a role model uh, for what became a kind of American Catholicism, not distinct from Catholicism, but a certain American flavor to it. And for that alone, I think uh, she stands again as one of those key moments in Catholic history in the United States. That's an interesting point. I want to get back to that American flavor of Catholicism a little bit later. Um, Of course, as the first American-born saint, she was also actually born before the United States was an independent country. (laughs) That's right, by two years. (laughs) (laughs) And she grew up Protestant, correct? She did. Uh, she grew up in um, some. Uh, she reminds me in some ways of Catherine Drexel, in that um, another great American saint, and that she uh, was raised in a very uh, prominent family. Uh, her father was uh, a surgeon, and she enjoyed the very best of life uh, as it was in in New York, and that was a pretty sophisticated place even then. And unfortunately, uh, her childhood was also marked by great loss. Uh, Her beloved mother, Elizabeth, died when she was only three years old. And her her father remarried uh, a woman by the name of Catherine. And she loved her new mother, her stepmother, uh, but the, the marriage did not succeed. And so another loss in her life. 
And you're right, the family was uh, Episcopalian. Uh, but her father is really more interested, I think, in acts of charity than he was necessarily being an avid churchgoer. Hmm. Charity, that seems like, like a significant word to use <laughs> in the life of Elizabeth yes, Ann Seton, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would say so, yes. But she picked up uh, and, and learned from that uh, the importance of uh, the great works of mercy. And, of course, at the age of 19, uh, she seemed destined to a life of motherhood and happiness uh, when she married William McGee Seton, uh, who was, at the time anyway, a very wealthy businessman uh, in a booming import trade, and that included uh, close ties uh, in trade to Italy. And we're beginning to see a kind of uh, beautiful divine web here being spun in the life of Elizabeth Ann Seton, because, of course, her husband uh, faced severe business losses as a result of the upheaval politically elsewhere in the world, in particular the great struggle between France and England that began shutting down trade opportunities. And so once again, she faced immense losses in her life uh, when her husband's business failed, collapsed, uh, and he contracted uh, tuberculosis, and they were forced to go to that very same place, uh, Italy, uh, for a, a failed effort for him to recover his health. Wow. I mean, just the grace through suffering that that example that she gives us is is incredible just in and of itself. What drew her eventually to the Catholic Church? Well, this is one of those uh, remarkable twists in the story of uh, her life, because uh, in Italy, uh, where her husband died in 1803, uh, she and uh, her children were given very warm welcome by the, the Italian business partners of her husband, in particular, Filippo Filicchi. And it was they who sort of introduced her to the, the very idea of Catholicism. Now, remember, she grew up with Episcopalian in New York in a, a colony, a state that uh, was not particularly welcoming uh, to Catholics for a very long time. What drew her to the faith was the, the, their example of living the faith, but also uh, what she really developed was a love for the Blessed Sacrament, a love for the Blessed Mother, uh, and also a deep understanding of the apostolicity, the, the apostolic roots of Catholicism. And so she returned to the United States, uh, was received into the Church uh, in New York, and uh, tried to do the best she could to make a living for herself and her family uh, by establishing an academy for young ladies. The problem was that because she was Catholic, uh, her... Catholicism made her unwelcome in many houses uh, in the most fashionable parts of New York. And so uh, it looked as though she was going to suffer another catastrophic loss right up until um, another great figure in American history, the Abbe Louis de Bourg, uh, who is uh, helping the French immigrant community, the Sulpician Fathers, uh, who was then also president of St. Mary's College in Baltimore, invited her to come up to him uh, to travel to Baltimore, the area, and establish uh, a religious school. And, of course, uh, in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And that's the start of yet another great moment in her life. 
Yeah, the beginning of what would become the parochial Catholic school system. <laughs> I mean, we are, right. I, you can't even, I, I, I don't think that we could state uh, too much how incredibly impactful that would be on American Catholicism, which, as we're running out of time here, Dr. Bunsen, takes us back to that point that you made about the American flavor of Catholicism. Can you speak to that? And very briefly, it was uh, an embrace and love of the, the Catholic faith in the midst of persecution, of anti-Catholicism, but it was also bringing Catholicism into a new world. Uh, it was a new nation as well. And we had the Irish, we had the Italians, we had the converts like Elizabeth Ann Seton. This was something truly unique, but it was blessed with a love of the Catholic faith in this new environment, uh, a kind of American determination uh, to get things done. Elizabeth Ann Seton is a perfect example of that, but also an ability to suffer immense losses and to continue on uh, in ways that I think for us today as, as Catholics who are facing new forms of bigotry, uh, it has to serve as an important role model for us. Amen to that. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton pray for us. Dr. Bunsen, we never have enough time together, especially when we're talking about the saints. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, executive editor and Washington bureau chief of EWTN News. Doc, as always, really appreciate it. Thank you. Happy New Year. And to you as well. Thank you, Doc. 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Carry the faith wherever you go. Watch your favorite EWTN show, series, or special, or listen to your favorite EWTN radio program at any time, day or night. EWTN On Demand brings all your favorites instantly. Download the EWTN app at EWTNapps.com today. Nineteen past. Here's Anna with headlines. Israeli defense forces say they've destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa hospital complex. 
During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again prayed for an end to wars around the world. And he continued his new catechesis series on virtues and vices, focusing on spiritual combat. Anna Mitchell, this doesn't do much good for the radio audience, and I apologize. But for those of you watching the live stream, I have decided today is the day to break out my Mother Seton socks. You have Mother Seton socks? I have Mother Seton socks. From Picture sock of her and her religious. bonnet holding a book. There's apples to represent her being a teacher. Crosses, and on the bottom of the foot, it says, Faith lifts the soul. Oh, neat. Um, sure so, a, can you then pun. now lift up your foot and show us that you have bare feet right now? Oh, yeah, they're bare feet. Yep, there so, you go. <laughs> you can't see because I, this is, the angle's not good for this with the way the microphone is placed, but I'm putting on one of the socks now. Okay, neat. here we go. Very neat. Now, now it's, now it's officially, well, it already was. At 12.01 this morning. But now I'm officially into the Feast of St. Elizabeth Ann. I know how much you love her. She's my fave. So very, got these very at her shrine. happy feast Everybody day. should go there. Mother Seton, pray, pray for, for us. us. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. What is the meaning of freedom? As Americans, we know we have many freedoms, but for some people, freedom means simply to do whatever one wants, to whomever one wants, whenever one wants. St. Paul talks about his understanding of freedom to the Galatians. He writes, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants for one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. St. Paul realizes that by the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, God's grace has restored to us the freedom to choose the good, the right, and the true. Freedom is not given to us for self-satisfaction alone, but for the glory of God and the building up of one another. St. Paul recognized that one of the biggest temptations that we as human beings face is the attraction to bodily pleasure. But when we allow the seeking of bodily pleasures to rule our lives, we sell our souls for very little, and we reap even less because these will ultimately destroy our souls. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us freedom from sin and the flesh so that we can have the freedom for doing good for others and glorifying God. May we never forget who has given us this freedom and the price that he paid for us in order to do it. And this is what we learn. From the heart of St. Paul. Once again, time for our Sunrise Morning Show Old Testament Bible study. We have been using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press to help guide us along the way. You can pick up a copy for yourself at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we are back with one of the contributors to this guide, Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Good morning. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. And we are talking about the Song of Songs today, a.k.a. the Song of Solomon. Did Solomon write this one as well? I think he did. That's a contested point 
among historians. So a lot of historians will argue he did not, but I think he did, and I think there's evidence of that. Um, a lot of the terms and things that are brought up um, really relate to what we know about from his reign. Well, those who read through the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon might be a little shocked um, when, if you're just kind of paging through the Bible, reading in order, and uh, you come upon the uh, the words of the Song of Songs, and it may not sound quite so, I don't know, Bible-y uh, to, to an untrained ear, but uh, there is a rich rich history in the church of interpretation of what this book is all about. Can you talk about that? Oh, certainly. And not just in the church, but in the Jewish tradition. I mean, it's very erotic. It's an erotically charged language. Um, And so, I mean, if it were just focusing on the relationship between the husband and the wife, uh, the man and the woman, it probably would never have been canonized, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's not the focal point in the traditions, but they understood it as so much deeper that this was this, this, I mean, you can think about what St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, where he's talking about husbands and wives, and he, he talks about this is a great mystery, right? It's this great yeah. sacrament. And um, it's the same sort of thing here, that, that the, in both Jewish and Christian interpretations, there's the erotic interpretation, but there's also this idea of divine love, of God loving the people, and of God loving the individual. Um, and then there's messianic interpretations about pointing forward to the Christ, and mystical interpretations, uh, and then liturgical interpretations. There's so much here. There's so many clues, right? When you think about your neck is like the Tower of David. Is this just a weird, you know, you know, love, you know, euphemism for the day? Have you, know, you ever what, what, seen those uh, those uh, memes where they they make Valentine's cards based on some of the imagery that uh, that gets used in the Song of Songs? It's hilarious. No, but that would be that would be that would be really funny. Because the point there is, I think about Jerusalem, the Tower of David, right? So a lot of what's going on is this imagery about how precious Jerusalem is to God and to the people. So I think there's a lot going on in the text. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you take us through the the outline of the Song of Songs? What do we read in this book? Well, we're basically, what we find is we find the, the lover seeking after the beloved. And that becomes the whole, you know, that's basically what this is about. So when you walk through, right, he's the bridegroom is inviting her to come away with him, all right? But he, he has to seek she then goes to seek him, right? First is the dream, um, and then they, they ride together into Jerusalem. Um, and then there's another dream where she's dreaming about the wedding night. Um, and this is, of course, where some of it gets kind of racy. And then uh, there's, there's, she dreams again of riding in his, along with, with his chariot. Um, and, then there's the, and there's the chorus throughout, the singing about the, the bride. And so the... That's basically, it's a song, so it's poetic, there's a lot of uh, rhythm in it, in the Hebrew, it's quite beautiful, you know, your lips are like a scarlet thread, your mouth is lovely, your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate, I just opened it up here, behind your veil, here it is, your neck is like the Tower of David, right, built for an arsenal, it doesn't seem like a, it doesn't seem like a uh, romantic compliment, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot going on in the text, so I would actually think that we, it's good to read this at multiple levels at the same time. Well, especially when we have the benefit of reading it in light of the New Testament, knowing that Jesus sets himself up as a bridegroom, 
and yes. and and then also in light of of the epistles of John in which we learn that God is love. I mean, yes. that brings all kinds of insights into the Song of Songs, doesn't it? I think it does. I think especially if you read it in light of uh, Pope Benedict XVI's analysis mm. in his first papal encyclical, Deus Caritas S, God is Love, because whereas Song of Songs tends to focus on eros, in the Greek at least, and what we hear here is, is uh, agape, right, caritas, charity, in St. John's letters, Pope Benedict points out how in God, in light of Song of Songs, in light of the New Testament, God unites both in himself. So you have that ecstatic love, the eros going out of self by desiring the other, and the agape, that selfless love, charity, which wills the good of the other as sacrifice to the self. And so we have both in God. I mean, it's really important, I think, that fundamentally, I think we often think of ourselves as um, our worth is based on our successes and failures, but it's not. It's based on the fact that God loves us. We are loved into existence by God, and He pursues us like a passionate lover at the sacrifice of the self for our own good. So He unites both forms of love in Himself as He pursues us. So He loves us more than we've ever loved anybody before, and that's powerful. So powerful, and I think a great place to close the conversation for today. On that note, we've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow. Read more about it in A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Go to ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament to uh, buy a copy for yourself or for a loved one in your life who could uh, use some more insights into the Song of Songs or any of the Old Testament books of the Bible. And Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, really appreciate your insights into this book today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. And you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis in the show notes over at our website, sonrisemorningshow.com, which is also where you can find our live stream. Check out Matt's Elizabeth Ann Seton socks. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Israeli Defense Forces says it's destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa Hospital complex. The IDF raided the facility back in November as it searched for an alleged Hamas command center. Israeli troops did find tunnels and a bunker, but not a command center. The IDF released video yesterday showing explosions between buildings, but Israel said the blasts did not damage the hospital. U.S. officials have said they are confident Hamas used the hospital to hold some hostages taken on October 7th and to house a command infrastructure. Pope Francis had prayers once again for an end to conflicts around the world at his general audience yesterday, the first of the new year. The Holy Father repeated, as he often asserts, that war is madness and always a defeat. He asked the faithful to remember in their prayers those suffering in Israel and Palestine as well as in Ukraine, which is close to a third year in its war with Russia. He also asked that we not forget other parts of the world, mentioning specifically our Rohingya brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. He also prayed for victims of the New Year's Day earthquake in Japan. In his catechesis at the general audience yesterday, Pope Francis continued his new series on vices and virtues. 
From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The Pope said that our Christian life is never linear or devoid of struggle, but rather requires continuous combat. He pointed to the oil with which Christians are first anointed at baptism, saying it contains no fragrance, as if to announce that life is a struggle. The anointing of the catechumens immediately makes it clear that the Christian is not spared from struggle, he said. However, he added, temptations are really a chance to allow God's grace to work in us. As St. Anthony, the first abbot, said, Remove temptations and no one will be saved. The Pope said that Christians who absolve themselves of their own sins risk living in darkness since they can no longer distinguish between good and evil. We must all ask God, he said, for the grace to recognize ourselves as poor sinners in need of conversion, keeping in our hearts the confidence that no sin is too great for the infinite mercy of God the Father. Even Jesus, noted Pope Francis, presented himself for baptism despite being free from all sin, so that we might follow his example and never be afraid to ask for God's mercy. After his baptism, Jesus withdrew into the desert where he was tempted by Satan. He has experienced what we too must always prepare to face, said the Pope. Life is made of challenges, trials, crossroads, opposing visions, hidden seductions, and contradictory voices. By reflecting on the vices and virtues, he said, we can overcome our nihilistic culture in which the contours between good and evil remain blurred. Spiritual combat, concluded Pope Francis, leads us to examine closely those vices that chain us and to walk with the grace of God towards those virtues that can bloom in us, bringing the spring of the Spirit into our lives. I'm Devin Watkins. Catholic pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai has pleaded not guilty to all charges in his Hong Kong national security trial. The Catholic News Agency reports he's he's accused of conspiring to collude with a foreign power. He was arrested in 2020 under a controversial national security law that has and has been in jail ever since. His lawyer has said he is no threat to national security, saying he was a journalist and a publisher who dared to print some truths that the authorities didn't like and a peaceful pro-democracy campaigner standing up for the people of Hong Kong in the face of increasing Chinese authoritarianism. The Wisconsin birth rate increased 2.5 percent after Planned Parenthood paused abortions last year. The IZA Institute of Labor Economics study says more than 1,500 of the babies born in Wisconsin since June of 2022 were the result of pro-life state laws enacted after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Wisconsin became one of 13 states with what the study classifies as a total abortion ban, but a Dane County judge ruled earlier this year that consensual abortions are to be legal in the state. Of the 13 states with total abortion bans, the study says 32,300 babies were born as a result. It's 35 past the hour. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what is hell? Hell is a state to which the wicked are condemned, in which they are deprived of the sight of God for all eternity, and are in dreadful torments. Hell is the ultimate unhappiness. Imagine the worst day you could possibly have. Everything has made you impatient, and you become more and more angry with yourself, so angry that there's no possible love or joy in your heart. That is only a fraction of an image of hell. Because hell is the separation from all that is good, all that is joyful, all that is beautiful. Hell is separation from God. And so hell is never something that people can enjoy. It's always for them a torment. So let us ask our Lord to avoid hell so that we might receive the grace, perseverance, and good that we might go to heaven. And that means, right now, keeping the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Cudaback. He's a philosophy professor at Christendom College. You can take his free man or woman of the household course or read his blog or do both over at his site, life-craft.org. Good morning, Dr. Cudaback. Good morning, Annie. It's so good to have you back. And we're going to be talking today about caroling together as a family. But before we talk about Christmas carols specifically, I want to talk about music in general first. What is the importance of music for the human experience? Well, you know, this is something I think the philosophers have always talked about. And it's, it's one of those things that is very hard to get to the root of other than to just see that obviously is a very influential thing in human life. This is where this is where Plato and Aristotle were, and the place that they give it most attention is when they're talking about education. Mm. And remember, for them, education is a very broad, rich term that means the formation of the whole person. Life is, in a sense, always about education, about forming ourselves, about forming one another. And they, and they saw music as a key tool in the toolbox a key way by a kind of divine ordination that we grow or, on the other hand, can hurt ourselves. And exactly why is, 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 is kind of shrouded in mystery. What is it? But they just, they absolutely saw it was written into the nature of things. The music has a unique power to influence the soul for good or for bad. Now, to bring it then to a Christian level, what do you think could be the role of music when it comes to learning and keeping the faith? Well, you know, there's just so much there to look at. I mean, clearly, again, by a divine ordination, by a divine gift, we are singers. We are music makers, and, and we make different kinds of music for different times. And if you look at the, the Old Testament, I mean, think of anyone who prays the breviary, just sees, sees 
seas constantly. You know, on the shores of Babylon, we laid down our harps. We weren't, we weren't singing. But then uh, other times we absolutely are singing, and we're praising the Lord, and we even refer to angels as singing, whatever exactly that mysterious thing is. And so it, it's just kind of up the ante for Christians. If nothing else, this is obvious when you talk about liturgy, where, where music has such an important role in how we praise God. Mm. You know, I was always struck by, um, there was a priest who gave a talk um, here in Cincinnati once uh, who was asked about the use of the organ at Mass, saying the organ was a very late instrument. So why would the church sort of ordain it as this great instrument over, you know, more ancient ones during the liturgy? And the priest's response was, well, the human voice is the instrument par excellence, and the organ is the instrument that most mimics the human voice. It's air going through pipes. And I loved learning that, Dr. Cutterback, that, yeah. that the human voice, air going through pipes, through our pipes, that is, is the, the instrument par excellence for the praise of God. Hey, hey, hey. Amen. I love a thing. My wife came from a very musical family, and something she always loves to say is, and I always repeat it to students <laughs> high and low, God gave you an instrument mm -hmm. that you have with you all the time. Clearly, God intended that you use this instrument well. Make beautiful, or, or not so beautiful, <laughs> right? but, we, but, but, but we try. And, it, and that clearly is part of a divine ordination. Yeah. So then, Dr. Cutterback, talk about the opportunity that we have this time of year when it comes to Christmas carols. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I'm convinced, Annie, that, I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's almost like the last corner where we can start again to reclaim singing. Singing is a really, really important part of culture, civilization, of human life, as we've just been briefly noting. And, and we have, we've lost it in so many ways. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and we don't have to go into them. Let's just kind of move on, start from where we are. Where can we start again? I just had a parent saying to me, gosh, you know, when we were young, we caroled a lot. My children barely know the carols, the father was saying. I understand. That's, you know, the, the shift of we're always listening to music or watching something, and, and, and we need to change that. This goes right to how we renew our home life. This is an opportunity to combine several things, the kind of life we want to have in our home, increasing our spiritual life, better festivity, better leisure. It all comes together. Let's start right here and now and just start singing, even if we're not doing that great a job of it. It's a great point. You know, I went to a Christmas Eve mass in which the priest used his homily to beg people to smile because the Christmas season is a season of joy. But a lot of people don't really know how to be joyful. Dr. Cutterback, do you think that singing, like really singing out a Christmas carol, could could make people feel the joy of the season? It's a fabulous point, Annie. Abs absolutely. And, and this, this, is, this is not about faking it, although there is something, there's something to the principles we've talked about before, the virtue, fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. But it, the carols are a way of reminding ourselves of what our joy should be. And look at the words 
I was just doing this again. Look, look through the words. They're so rich. Look, we've got epiphany coming up. Look at We Three Kings. This is worth singing this week. The the words, they instruct us, they inspire us, they point out to us what our joy should be. So the one and the same time, we're forming our minds, and we're having an opportunity to kind of express that musically. So a lot of people are thinking right now, okay, this all sounds great, Dr. Cutterback, but I cannot sing. What is your response? My, My response is stop it. Yes, you can. It's just, 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 just don't say that because it's not true. It, it, this is part of the problem of we, we listen to the records, we listen to the, listen to the radio. Well, I don't sing like Bing Crosby does, so I can't, so I can't sing. No, wrong, wrong answer. Wrong we can. Answer. You don't. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be fabulous. It comes from the heart. And and, and let's 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 humble ourselves. If nothing else, I say to parents for the sake of our children. Don't give ourselves to out. Well, I just I just don't do that. Come on, we can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can sing along with Bing Crosby. I think that's a good way to to perhaps start. Bing did a, a lot of the great Christmas carols, and and that could be a way to kind of get used to the tune and sing along with somebody who knows how to keep that tune. But for those who um, want to start singing in their homes together. Dr. Cutterback, can you tell us uh, just quickly about the resources you have over at LifeCraft uh, for those well, who want if, to carry? you go, click on the tab. It's called Sophia's Corner. That's my wife's corner. And in there, she has a whole bunch. Of, she has a booklet you can download. She has tracks you can listen to to help you do this and, and encouraging little texts about the importance and beauty of song. So, it's, you know, again, when you're going to repeat, thank you, the, the website address. And then there's a tab called Sophia's Corner. We're doing everything we can to make it easier. Print out the little pages there. You've got the words of the key songs that you need. Uh, we, we can do this. We can do this. Thank you so much, Dr. Cutterback. That website, again, is life-craft.org, and all of those resources he was just mentioning are free. So you just head over there, and uh, you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Matt, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Oh, favorite Christmas carol. I mean, what uh, one gets you? Uh, you know, the uh, a well done. Oh, holy night is hard to beat. Oh, yeah. Um, you know what one gets me? What? Hark the Herald Angels sing. Hark the Herald Angels sing. Which is oh, a my great gosh. Wesleyan tune. Oh, my gosh. Great Wesleyan tune. But, you know, the uh, the first time that we sing joy to the world at Christmas. Oh, yeah. Like that's always a good one. But uh, it's also real hard to beat a Deste Fideles. <sighs> oh, come all you faithful. It's so true. It's like, I mean, these are the things. Uh, there's some good ones. We really, I am really convinced um, that singing the faith is so important to keeping the faith. I've become more and more convinced of this as as I parent my kids and and look at the lives of those who have come from broken situations and yet have maintained the faith, it seems to be a common element, is song, singing. I think we were talking about this, I can't remember who we were talking about this with, uh, a couple weeks ago, how uh, advertisers, I mean, the church learned this a long time ago, but advertisers have learned it since. Otherwise, why would I remember all the chewing gum jingles from the 1980s? Exactly. There's things why do that my you remember kids better when you sing. Who only watch streaming 
shows, whenever we're at, you know, grandma and grandpa's house watching a football game, they can sing the commercial jingles. It's crazy. That they haven't heard for at least a week. It's wild. Yeah. And they only ever hear them during that football game. I know. Imagine what would happen if you sang at another place that you prioritize once a week. Hmm. Hmm. Just saying. Hmm. Just saying. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast joins us coming up after the break. It's 13 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The Catholic Feedback Podcast connects the eternal truths of the faith to everyday life and how to apply the Catholic faith in a down-to-earth and impactful manner. You can hear Catholic Feedback as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates around the world, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTN.com slash radio and click Podcast Central today. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We thank you for joining us on this Thursday, the 4th of January. It is the Feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Pray for us. Uh, She's a great saint in the history of the United States uh, for everybody from teachers to mothers to people trying to figure out the vocation to converts, you name it, St. Elizabeth's gone through it. So, St. Elizabeth, pray for us. We're joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast, licensed counselor, former seminary professor. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And given the Holy Father's prayer intention for January, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to try and figure out how to maybe get along with all the different kind of voices and faces and personalities in mm-hmm. our workplace and parish and family that might not be naturally easy for us to do. So what are some good tips for yeah. us? 
Yeah, so, so it's interesting that Holy Father's intention for this month is for the gift of diversity in the church. We pray that the Holy Spirit may help us to recognize the gift of different charisms within the Christian community. And I think that word diversity has a lot of negative connotations now in our culture in the United States, and people get into all kinds of arguments about <clears throat> diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think our Holy Father is driving at a different kind of point here. So I want to, like, like you said, the areas would be our family, maybe in, as we think back on the holidays and spending more time on the holidays, uh, going back to work, the people we work with uh, every day, and then our parish community. And one of the, I, I think the themes I want to hit here, Matt, would be like appreciating other people, building empathy, and then looking at my own uh, blind spots, the things I don't see, and then how can I change my reactions? So I think most people would agree if we take it in a different, like if we, you know, maybe take that word diversity and think about uh, unity, open-mindedness, respect for other people, being willing to learn from other people, giving people the benefit of the doubt. So that goes in a little bit different direction than uh, a political interpretation of diversity. So the first one I would say, and, you know, we can think even about our family and, and the people we see every day at work. Like, who is it that gets under my skin? And I might not get into arguments with people, uh, but there's some people that just have a different personality from mine. They come from a different background, even in my family. And sometimes I don't like their behavior, but if I can focus on the person uh, to, to see, like, well, how could I understand this person or show some uh, empathy, some compassion? One exercise that we use in psychology, which is very helpful, is uh, especially in the family, when we know more about people's background, I did this with my own parents and grandparents uh, with whom I had some, some issues, especially with my dad, uh, to think about his life story. So all the things he had gone through, the depression, uh, being a son of immigrants, going through the war, being involved as a first responder for 30 plus years, uh, having a lot of sickness and losses. And when I looked at that, I said, like, this is his journey. So I just stepped back from the behavior, some of the behaviors I didn't like, and I, I, you know, wanted him to change. But when I could see the person, like, what's the value here? Or even in the workplace, you know, all of us, you know, who've been in the workplace for a while know that there's certain people we just don't care for or we don't respect, or we don't think they're as competent. And if I can step back and say, okay, they are different from me, they have different talents. So another image St. Paul uses, the one of the body, another one would be a mosaic that's made up of different colors, shapes, sizes of pieces, but it all fits together. And when we step back from it, we can see how they're all valuable. They're all irreplaceable. So what's the, the, the gift that somebody has that maybe I, I can't see? And I think with our parishes, Matt, this is important. Uh, I know in our diocese here in Cincinnati, we're going through a lot of consolidation, restructuring, and there can be three, four, or five uh, parishes that have their own individual history. And I know from personal experience that uh, not every parish uh, is going to get along with the people from the other. So they don't worship the way we do. They have a little bit different theological understanding. Uh, why? How could any sane person think that way? That's a, you know I've heard one that parish in some is into meetings, the rosary, right? the others into the Divine Mercy <clears throat> Chaplet. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you, right. you or, know enough about Cincinnati yeah. to know, and this mm -hmm. is the case in a lot of uh, sort of older Catholic towns, it used to be that the Polish Catholics went to church in one building and the German Catholics went to 
church across the street in a different building and the Italians went to another one altogether yeah. down the block. Yeah, yeah, and that's true in many places around the state. So so that's that would be one area to say, well, how can I just like could I just be open minded and not judgmental? And I think some of us are afraid of dialogue, just that word like, you know, if I really listen to this other person or try to talk with them, I'm afraid of losing my own identity or my own position. But if I go from a, a point of uh, faith and security, like I'm not, I don't have to be threatened. I can listen to somebody and dialoguing with somebody doesn't mean I'm going to change my point of view or the way that I believe or how I worship. But I say, maybe they have a point. Maybe there's something I can learn from this person. So that's in my blind spots. I think this is true. Martin Luther King said this many years ago, the most segregated hour in America is 10 and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. <laughs> so we all tend to live in fairly segregated neighborhoods. It's very unusual to have any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of differences in our neighborhoods where we live and even at church. And some of that's okay. We want to be with people who understand us that have a similar point of view, but maybe to get out of my own echo chamber. So those would be the things we could think about, like appreciation and then Maybe I can listen. Maybe I can learn something. Maybe I can read something if I read the National Catholic Register. Maybe I bop over to the National Catholic Reporter, and I don't have to agree with everything that's there, but I can see, do they have a point? Is there anything valuable in here? Maybe there's a kernel. I read all those things, not because I agree with them, but because I just want to know what people are thinking about. Yeah, but (laughs) but that's an unusual, but but you're an unusual person in that. Like, most of us just want to argue and defend our position. It's, uh... It's our church. These are brothers yeah. and sisters. Let's figure out how to get along and yeah. uh, and love one another better. Right. It is three minutes till we're back right Thanks, after Matt. this. Thursday, the 4th of January, the Feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Let's pray a prayer for our beloved dead. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, our Father, your power brings us to birth. Your providence guides our lives. And by your command, we return to dust. Lord, those who die still live in your presence. Their lives change, but do not end. I pray and hope for my family, relatives, and friends. And for all the dead known to you alone. In company with Christ who died and now lives, may they rejoice in your kingdom, where all our tears are wiped away. Unite us together again in one family to sing your praise forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. She certainly knew that sorrow of losing those close to her. It was a uh, hard road for St. Elizabeth, but she's an incredible saint through whom God accomplished many incredible things. Glad to be able to share her feast day, or at least a little bit of it, with you here on EWTN. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ekman at the controls. Travis has video stuff up and running on Facebook and YouTube. Check it out through sunrisemorningshow.com. We're going to talk about husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, and uh, that's always one that brings out the commenters. Dr. John Bergsma, though, is going to look at it in an ecclesiological sense 
as it were. Rita Heikenfeld will be along for Bible Foods, Gary Machuda, as we continue our series on his book, The Gospel Truth. And then Courtney Brown has more thoughts on how to instill principles of theology in the body in elementary school students. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past the hour. News a service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Israeli Defense Forces says it's destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa Hospital complex. The IDF raided the facility back in November as it searched for an alleged Hamas command center. Israeli troops did find tunnels and a bunker, but not a command center. The IDF released video yesterday showing explosions between buildings, but Israel said the blasts did not damage the hospital. U.S. officials have said they're confident Hamas used the hospital to hold some hostages taken on October 7th and to house a command infrastructure. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again prayed for an end to wars around the world. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Pope Francis asked for prayers for the tragedy taking place in Palestine and Israel and the war in Ukraine, now almost in its third year. At the same time, he said we must remember victims of war in so many other parts of the world, asking in particular that we not forget our Rohingya brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. In Palestine, Israel, Ukraine, when addressing pilgrims from Poland, Pope invited the faithful to remember people on the move due to war and poverty and prayed that God may grant us a heart sensitive to the needs of the poor, refugees and victims of war. After his catechesis in English, Pope offered prayers for victims and rescuers of those affected by the earthquake in Japan, remembering also those workers killed in the airplane collision in Tokyo. The death toll in the New Year's earthquake has risen to 64, but the situation is very unstable. Japan's meteorological agency has warned of possible dangerous aftershocks. The quake reached an estimated magnitude of 7.6, striking the Noto Peninsula on New Year's Day, causing significant destruction. On Tuesday, a Japan Airlines Airbus collided with a Coast Guard aircraft loaded with emergency goods for earthquake-hit areas and killing four of five of the Coast Guard crew on board. All 379 Japan Airlines passengers and crew survived, quickly escaping the fiery crash in time via evacuation slides. Archbishop Tarsisius Isao Kikuchi of Tokyo has assured local church support for those affected by the earthquake, and the church has activated its emergency response support team that works together with Caritas Japan. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Also at his general audience yesterday, the Holy Father continued his new catechesis series on vices and virtues. Vatican News reports this week the Holy Father focused on spiritual combat, saying the Christian life is one of continuous combat. He said, spiritual combat leads us to closely look at those vices that chain us and to walk with the grace of God towards those virtues that can bloom in us, bringing the spring of the Spirit into our life. The Federal Reserve appears to be done with rate hikes. Members of a key Fed committee predicted rate cuts in 2024 but pointed out more uncertainty than usual for its next move, that according to new meeting minutes from December, which were released yesterday. After its last meeting of 2023, the panel voted to hold interest rates at the highest level in more than two decades. House Republicans will hold impeachment hearings against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of the southern border. 
Mark Mayfield reports. Mayorkas said he'll cooperate with the inquiry. He stressed, however, how he is focused on his job, including negotiating with senators on border policy changes to address the surge in asylum seekers arriving from Mexico. The DHS secretary says he's hopeful an immigration fix will occur. The House Homeland Security Committee is expected to hold its first impeachment hearing on January 10th. I'm Mark Mayfield. The And the complete rosters for the 2024 Pro Bowl games have been announced, and the San Francisco 49ers lead the way in selections. Quarterback Brock Purdy, running back Christian McCaffrey, and tight end George Kittle are among the eight starters selected from the Niners. This year's edition of the Pro Bowl is a week-long celebration of player skills featuring an exciting new format that spotlights flag football at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. So I've been thinking about this. The the It's not been like a real football game in my lifetime, the right. Pro Bowl. Sure. Like, why don't they just scrap everything? I see what the direction they're going is with the skill competition and everything. Mm-hmm. Scrap it all and just do American Gladiators with Paul NFL is, players. Paul is applauding you right now. In just the scrap it all. Bring back Gemini and all oh, those dudes. Oh, man. Turbo. What were the... Turbo. Bring back those dudes. Bring back Wesley Two Scoops Barry. <laughs> we should just turn it into... I feel like some of those guys involved in American Gladiators were former MFL, NFL dudes anyway. Probably. Like Mike Zach and like... Oh. You're just not... making American Gladiators. Let us just see... Or Circus of the Stars. Put them in like... American Ninja Warrior circumstances. See if they Doesn't can have to be that hardcore, but see like, if they I mean, can yeah. go on the the big spinny thing and not fall into the water. Let's do it. Was it this, let's stop pretending that it let's is a stop bowl. Stop pretending. Exactly. <laughs> That's my take. Today is Thursday, January the fourth. It is the feast of Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first American-born saint. Pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. John Bergsma. We have been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics, from Ave Maria Press. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So, Doc, I've been putting it off to avoid all the angry emails. Just kidding. <laughs> but today we are studying a passage that I think it's fair to call infamous simply because it's so misunderstood. It should not actually be infamous, but I am talking, of course, of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 36. Here it is. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, So let wives be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing, by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's cut to the chase, Dr. Bergsma. There are other translations that say wives be subordinate to your husbands or be submissive to your husbands. This translation, the RSV, says be subject to your husband. Um, talk about this word, subject or submissive or subordinate. Absolutely. It's um, a Greek word, hupotasomai, really means place yourselves under. And it is important to remember it's, it's a general injunction for all Christians. It's, it's a term used quite a bit um, all through the New Testament about a general attitude of deference or putting others first that characterizes Christian culture generally in all kinds of relationships. So um, the younger Christians are encouraged to place themselves under older Christians, and uh, well, as we read in, the, in uh, verse 21, um, it's a, a general disposition of um, uh, deferring to uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ that has a special application within marriage. Yeah, we talk so often about the need to read Scripture in context. So remind us of the context that we've been talking about with with Ephesians in general. Yes, we were talking about the Church as the body of Christ. You know, I think last time we chatted, uh, Anna, we were talking about these images of temple and body mm-hmm. that move all the way through uh, the book of Ephesians, and that uh, intimate relationship between Christ and the Church, that uh, we are all unified, and that has a special application uh, within marriage. Um, you know, I think that when we, when we talk, you know, we, we talk about the headship of the husband, the husband is head of the wife, and, and so on, immediately we need to think about how Jesus talks about leadership or being a leader among others, and it brings us right back to the heart of the Gospel, which is the, the upper room and the giving of the Eucharist and the Last Supper, and it's, it's not coincidental that it's there that Jesus says, look, people in the world think that leadership means lording it over others, but I tell you that he who would be first among you must be servant of all. So for Jesus, being head or being leader means being a servant. It means serving those that are entrusted to your care. And that's especially true in the most intimate of relationships with with a husband and wife, where uh, the husband is called to be, yes, a leader, but one who lays down his life for his wife and his children uh, in an act of service. Because we all know that a good leader really provides a service and a support and encouragement for others, um, is someone that others can trust. And so, and I would even say in, in the context of Ephesians, this hupotasamai, this, this subject, even as a sense of self-entrustment, it's like 
entrust yourself to your husband. Mm. Well, this is it sounds so counterintuitive to our modern ears, I think, especially you talk in the book. And for those watching the video stream right now, I'm going to hold up uh, some pages here with your, uh, shall we call them infamous, famous stick (laughs) figures of how uh, this can be seen when you look at subjects to a leader or a king, as as you have in here and um, and how it should actually be as Christians. And how does all of this, Dr. Bergsma, um, how, how is all of this so important for us as Christians to understand the love of God? Yes, because the marriage relationship is a model of how Christ interacts with the Church. And we all acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and our leader, but Jesus redefines what that means to be a leader. You know, he, t- he took 100% responsibility for our welfare, did he not? You know, he went to the cross for us and laid down his life. And this, you know, when we look at the crucifix, that is the model of being a husband. That is a model of being a leader. That is being so committed to the well-being of those that are entrusted to your care, that you will uh, literally go to death for their sake. And that's what uh, St. Paul is calling the husband to do in the marital relationship for the sake of his wife. And then on the, uh, the reciprocal side of that, he's encouraging wives to entrust themselves to that kind of loving, self-sacrificial leadership that their husbands are called to give to them. Amen. We'll leave it there for now. There's so much more to talk about with Ephesians 5, so we'll continue it the next time we get together. In the meantime, I encourage you to pick up a copy of Love Basics for Catholics, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Berksma, thank you so much. You bet. Talk to you next time. Sounds good. All right, it's 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. Are you a new listener to EWTN Radio? Welcome. We're here for you 24-7. You'll hear live and interactive shows throughout the day to answer any questions you may have about the Catholic faith. There's trustworthy news from a Catholic perspective. And a large selection of podcasts available at EWTN's Podcast Central. And, of course, the daily Mass, prayers, and everything you need to edify your soul. Welcome to EWTN Radio. We're blessed to have you with us. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Israeli defense forces say 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa complex have been destroyed. During his general audience yesterday, Pope Francis again prayed for an end to wars around the world. And he continued his new catechesis series on vices and virtues, focusing this week on spiritual combat. News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, since we were talking about Charles Wesley earlier today, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth Ann Seton kind of all day, because mm-hmm. it's her feast, mm-hmm. um, I went to the opening of the, the, the grand reopening of the Seton Shrine Museum, and they had transcribed, well, they had taken pictures of a bunch of like her original stuff. She has a book of dear remembrances. Yeah, and uh, it's where you write memories about you know people who have passed on, and she's writing a, a reference, and you can see this because they've scanned it all in in these like interactive like digital displays. Um, but she's remembering her uncle William Bailey, Uncle B, she calls him, oh. and in it, she quotes a hymn from Charles Wesley. Hmm. So uh, it's one called "Am I Born to Die," and uh, it's you know a you know, kind of like a, a mournful but hopeful, you know, hymn about uh, death and uh, hope in the next life in Christ. But it's just kind of crazy to me that a saint quoted Charles Wesley. Like, yeah. And, you know, bearing in mind that Charles Wesley is actually not that far removed from the life of. <laughs> St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was born in 1774. Um, Wesley uh, lived from 1707 to 1788. Oh, wow. So he would have been well-known and alive when she was growing up. Wow, wow, So she would have very much uh, known songs like Christ the Lord has risen today and Love Divine, All Love's Excelling and maybe even Hark the Herald Angels Sing when they were first hitting the charts. That's crazy. Crazy to think that those hymns are not even all that old in the grand scheme of things. Indeed. It's 21 past. Mornings make you want to stay in bed. It's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. 
To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Accept, O Lord, this appeal for pardon wrung from our afflicted and repentant souls. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for public scandals and evil living, for all who corrupt thy little ones, for crimes in families, the sins of parents and children. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for those who traffic in public crime, for those who lead and lure souls to eternal damnation by riches and corrupt literature, for those who excite evil passions by immodest fashions. We ask pardon, O Divine Heart, for all attacks against our Holy Father, the Pope, for all organized disobedience against Holy Mother, the Church, for all weak and straying souls, for sinners who resist grace, for all abuse of the sacraments, or any outrage against the Holy Eucharist. Amen. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com, and something tells me some of you will want to take notes on today's segment because we're going to be talking about some... uh, good natural cocktails, as it were, to help people feel better during this time when it seems like half the people I know are sick. Rita, good morning. Oh, good morning, and one of my kids is as well, so I thought, what a timely topic. All right, so uh, obviously these are going to involve some Bible foods and herbs as mm-hmm. well, so let's just go through a few of these and, and talk about what they're for. Uh, let's talk about the immune-boosting OJ. Oh, you know, this is one that's so quick and easy, uh, Matt. It takes not even a minute to make up. Um, And what you're going to start with is some um, fresh orange juice. You can also use the frozen reconstituted or the 100% bottled juice. So basically you've got a cup of that, and you can double or triple the recipe. And then you're going to add some turmeric and some ginger to it. And anywhere from about a fourth a teaspoon of each on. And, you know, um, the ancient Romans, they, they just brought in huge quantities of ginger. And it was funny because it was so abundant, but everyone loved it so much it was highly taxed. So um, ginger also, as we know and you know, really soothes the tummy. Um, and then the turmeric, excuse me, uh, both of them have antiviral benefits. So just a wonderful drink. Um, and you can make up a, a big batch and put it in the fridge just before you want to drink it, though. Give it a shake because uh, the turmeric and ginger do settle to the bottom. Yeah, nobody wants just a big old <laughs> swallow of turmeric powder at the bottom, bottom of one of those. <laughs> but uh, you've also got a fever-busting punch that, uh, that I'm very interested in as well. I think your kids would like this. Um, and it has pomegranates and some grapes in at the the punch includes some grape juice and apple juice, and we know that both the pomegranates and the grapes were among the seven species of foods that mentioned in De- uh, Deuteronomy, and those were the symbols of the close relationship between the Jewish people and Israel. So I love that. So basically, you just want to take equal amounts of all of these juices um, and use the all-natural, no-added sugar. The fruit punch, which has the, the grape and the apple juice included, uh, pineapple juice, and cranberry pomegranate juice. And that is just about it. And, you know, 
you think of cranberries and pomegranates, they're really good for your digestion, and cranberries especially for your kidneys. But what I love in this is the pineapple juice, because when we were kids, and you tell me if, if your mom did this, whenever we had a sore throat, she would give us pineapple juice. And, you know, she didn't know the science, the science behind it, which um, is this, pineapples contain bromelain, which is really anti-inflammatory and really even good for your, your joints and soothes a sore throat, like cuts through that mucus and all. But it's so funny because she used it. She knew it worked, so that's why I included. So basically just equal amounts of fruit punch, pineapple juice, and the cranberry pomegranate juice. And kids absolutely love it, and it's so hydrating. I do remember having pineapple juice from time to time on a sore throat, but I remember having it in those like miniature cans that had like the foil, like piece of foil on top of the can, and like you sort of peeled the foil off the top of the can. And there's, I don't know if you ever had those. I think we also had like apricot nectar in those from time to time too. Yeah, Um, when you your era, of course, my era, it was just in a in a bottle. I'm sure. But, that, yeah, and you could, that's a, a great idea, too, because that way you can pack it in their lunch if, you know, they're, they're feeling a little bad. It works real well. Very good. All right, now this is the one that I'm most interested in and that I might end up making today because I'm on the, I'm on the edge a little bit here. I want to know about the simple ginger tea with cinnamon. Oh, you can't get any easier than this. And um, ginger tea is so popular and it's so delicious. And, y- you know, from drinking... Uh, ginger tea and eating ginger it has a sweet hot flavor but it also this tea also contains honey and um, some lemon juice and and then a stick of cinnamon and then talking about the honey we use the raw honey from our hives but it's honey's mentioned over 50 times in the bible matt i mean that was the sweetener they didn't have sugar or sweet and low or anything like that um and then if you do use the raw organic honey, that has antibacterial and antioxidant qualities. And we know not to give honey to babies under the year, um, under a year old. So basically, here's what it is. A uh, couple cups of water and then some fresh ginger to taste. And I'll have a, uh, just leave the skin on and smash it or chop it. And um, a cinnamon stick or even some powdered cinnamon. Basically, you bring the water to a boil, and then you stir in the ginger and cinnamon, and then you have to cover it, Matt, and let it steep, oh, about five minutes or so. Then you strain, um, and then for a boost of vitamin C, I'll add some lemon juice, and then I'll stir in some uh, honey. And again, ginger is so tummy-soothing and anti-inflammatory, and anything uh, that citrus has lots of vitamin C, and we know that's an immune uh, system booster, so cinnamon, um, there's so much in the, the news about cinnamon now. I always say that packs an antioxidant punch. Um, and it's good for your, your heart and just a very soothing spice. And the honey we talked about. So a couple cups of water, some fresh ginger, a cinnamon stick. Let it uh, steep and then strain it out. Add some lemon and some sweetener and you are good to go. Well, if you didn't catch all of that from those three things that we talked about this morning, the immune-boosting OJ, the fever-busting chilled punch, and the simple ginger tea with cinnamon, I've got all those recipes linked in the show notes right now at aboutEating.com, but they're actually in the show notes, copied and pasted at sunrisemorningshow.com. 
Com as well. Praying for all of you who are feeling under the weather right now. I know a lot of you are. Rita, thank you as always. I can make a lot of this because all this stuff is almost already in my kitchen. Well, there you go. Pineapple juice. I'm glad about that. (laughs) It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Israeli Defense Forces says it's destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa Hospital complex. The IDF raided the facility in November as it searched for an alleged Hamas command center. Israeli troops did find tunnels and a bunker, but not a command center. The IDF released video yesterday showing explosions between buildings, but Israel said the blasts did not damage the hospital. The White House, meanwhile, says it does not know who's responsible for yesterday's attack in Iran that left more than 100 people dead. Mark Mayfield reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says there's no indication that Israel was behind the explosions. State media reports two explosions occurred as people gathered near the burial site of Qasem Soleimani. He was killed in a U.S. drone strike three years ago yesterday. The White House also did not confirm news reports that Israel carried out an airstrike in Beirut that killed a top Hamas official on Tuesday. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis prayed once again for an end to conflicts around the world during his general audience yesterday, the first of the new year. The Holy Father repeated, as he often asserts, that war is madness. He asked the faithful to remember in their prayers those suffering in Israel and Palestine and in Ukraine, which is close to a third year in the war with Russia. He also asked that we not forget other parts of the world, mentioning specifically our Rohingya brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution. He also prayed for victims of the New Year's Day earthquake in Japan. In his catechesis, the Holy Father continued his new series on vices and virtues. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The Pope said that our Christian life is never linear or devoid of struggle, but rather requires continuous combat. He pointed to the oil with which Christians are first anointed at baptism, saying it contains no fragrance, as if to announce that life is a struggle. The anointing of the catechumens immediately makes it clear that the Christian is not spared from struggle, he said. However, he added, temptations are really a chance to allow God's grace to work in us. As St. Anthony, the first abbot, said, Remove temptations and no one will be saved. The Pope said that Christians who absolve themselves of their own sins risk living in darkness since they can no longer distinguish between good and evil. We must all ask God, he said, for the grace to recognize ourselves as poor sinners in need of conversion, keeping in our hearts the confidence that no sin is too great for the infinite mercy of God the Father. Even Jesus, noted Pope Francis, presented himself for baptism despite being free from all sin, so that we might follow his example and never be afraid to ask for God's mercy. After his baptism, Jesus withdrew into the desert where he was tempted by Satan. He has experienced what we too must always prepare to face, said the Pope. Life is made of challenges, trials, crossroads, opposing visions, hidden seductions, and contradictory voices. By reflecting on the vices and virtues, he said, we can overcome our nihilistic culture in which the contours between good and evil remain blurred. Spiritual combat, concluded Pope Francis, leads us to examine closely those vices that chain us and to walk with the grace of God towards those virtues that can bloom in us, bringing the spring of the Spirit into our lives. I'm Devin Watkins. Catholic pro-democracy activist Jimmy Lai has pleaded not guilty to all charges in his Hong Kong national security trial. The Catholic News Agency reports he's accused of conspiring to collude with a foreign power. 
He was arrested in 2020 under a controversial national security law and has been in jail ever since. His lawyer has said he is no threat to national security, saying he was a journalist and a publisher who dared to print some truths that authorities didn't like and a peaceful pro-democracy campaigner standing up for the people of Hong Kong in the face of increasing Chinese authoritarianism. The Wisconsin birth rate increased 2.5 percent while Planned Parenthood paused abortions last year. The ICA Institute of Labor Economics Studies says more than 1,500 of the babies born in Wisconsin since June of 2022 were the result of pro-life laws enacted after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Wisconsin became one of 13 states with what the study classifies as a total abortion ban. But a Dane County judge ruled earlier this year that consensual abortions are legal in the state again. Of the 13 states with total abortion bans, the study says it saved 32,300 babies. That's the news. It's 35 past the end. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. We often hear about famous last words. Paul in 2 Timothy writes in this probably final letter to his beloved Timothy, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Some race Paul had. We recall his earlier life when he persecuted the church, relished arresting Christians to take them into custody. Then, of course, he has that wonderful experience on the road to Damascus. And through God's grace, Paul spends perhaps 10 or 15 years traveling throughout the Mediterranean world, as much as 2,500 miles, many of them on foot, bringing the word of God to the the people who lived along the Roman roads. And Paul tells us in his letters that his race involved a lot of hardship, scourging, imprisonment, and even shipwreck. So when Paul says, I finished the race, that's an impressive statement. Perhaps we need to reflect on these last words from Paul and make them our own so that we too could say, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues on this feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and uh, there's just so much to be said about her. Uh, You know, we have back-to-back feast days of two of, like, the architects Iconic, of the American yeah, church. Of the American experience of Catholicism. Uh, in in uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton today, and then St. John Neumann tomorrow. It's just such a cool story to be able to... I mean, it can be weird for us as Americans to hear all these Italian saints or, you know, all these saints of Ireland, and, you mm-hmm. know, they can seem like a million miles away. 
but you know these are these are saints from our soil. These are saints whose shrines are driving distance from some of us. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there there are a couple of cool things that you know I got to experience this year when they opened up the Seton Shrines New Museum, which I would recommend to anybody. It's incredible um, what they've done over there, including uh, this whole thing of like the you know they've got patterns for like the original habits that the you know daughters of charity were wearing they got all kinds of cool stuff but i didn't know she was going to be there i got to meet um ann o'neill whose healing from leukemia was approved as saint elizabeth ann seton's second miracle like wow uh she brought up the gifts at the dedication mask uh like i think it can be easy to to think of the saints as people in books from a long way away and forget like no like these people are connected to like the living church right now like as in the church militant still walking around in our regular bodies yeah <laughs> you know they're still you know, connected to us now one thing that i often overlook with somebody like saint elizabeth and seton and this happens a lot when we look at the lives of the saints in general is that we we look at the or we we, we remember the incredible things that they did. So Elizabeth Ann Seton is a great example of this. You know, the founder of the parochial school system, essentially, the founder of of the the Sisters of Charity that are just so pervasive around the United States, um, that we forget about their interior life. And um, next hour, actually, there will be a, a conversation that we have with Chris McGregor. Uh, who who often dives into the office of readings with us, um, and and we're going to be talking about a selection for today's feast of Elizabeth Ann Seton, and it was just so eye opening to read her words. Um, I believe it's um, maybe a letter that she wrote, and and it was just sort of spiritual direction. She says, I I will tell you what is my own great help. I once read or heard that an interior life means but the continuation of our Savior's life in us, that the great object of all his mysteries is to merit for us the grace of his interior life and communicate it to us, it being the end of his mission to lead us into the sweet land of promise. She says, well, then, The first end I propose in our daily work is to do the will of God. Secondly, to do it in the manner he wills. And thirdly, to do it because it is his will. I mean, it's stuff like that. She's so practical. But you can you can often miss when you're looking at what she does. You you might forget why she's doing it. You know what I mean? You might think also of their experiences as sort of remote to ours. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. expect to uh, to really develop an affinity for St. Elizabeth and Seton, but she sort of tracked me down over the past, I want to say, like, 10 as years. saints often do. Saints often do. Because, you know, when I think about, like, the epic saints that I really want to attach myself to, I don't think about, like, what's the life of a colonial-era woman like? <laughs> you know, so I can really lock yeah. in on that Yeah, she was born experience. two years before the Revolution. Um, but she has, I mean, very much an American experience. But, you know, loss uh, in her family, uh, of course, her conversion and people not understanding it. Um, of course, also her connection to Catholic education and 
you know, my wife's a Catholic educator, and that's mm -hmm. been her whole professional experience. Uh, but even other little things, like, uh, you know, her dad was a doctor who was kind of a pioneer in helping to combat yellow fever when it broke out in New York in the late 1700s. Mm -hmm. So, like, she's also been through a pandemic, yep. <laughs> you know, of sorts. Like, there's all these little things that you sort of forget about when you put saints sort of as, like, plaster statues over in the corner. And, you know, it's it's interesting. And how they increased in sanctity in those in situations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you, you sort of wonder. I mean, we've got more information on St. Elizabeth Ann Seton than we do on, you know, like some of the people who died during the persecutions of the Emperor Diocletian in, like, you know, the early 300s. But you just wonder, if we did have stuff on those people— Mm -hmm. Like how how much would we see? What was their daily life what like? What was their daily life like? What was their spiritual their interior life like? Um what were some of the things that they went through that we'd have been surprised to find out that they experienced? Um yeah. that really speak to our experience. I mean this is something that we talk about all the time, isn't it? That that we need to to know the stories of the saints. We need to get to know them as friends because if we start looking at, I mean, it's so amazing, especially, I mean, we could widen this out to, to even look at at Scripture, like what was happening in, in Scripture, and, and, and making these connections to see how, you know, the, the old saying about history repeating itself. You see these cycles in the human experience— and, and we can go back and look, you know, the great example of this, I was just reading a piece that I hope Joe Heschmeyer will come on the show to talk about, about a liturgical controversy in which a pope uh, suppressed one liturgical practice in favor of another one saying that he wanted unity. And he goes, and of course, I'm talking about, I think it was Pope Hilarion, you know, like, oh, this sort of thing happened hundreds of years ago. I mean, this sort of stuff happened thousands of years ago. And, and, and when we look back to how the saints handled those situations, we can have insights into how we can handle those situations when they crop up in this day and age. You know, the, the human experience is, is not all that different from age to age. Yeah, we have a lot more technology now. But aside from that, the human the human condition is the same always and forever. And so we can we can really learn about our own particular situations from the saints. We can use, that's why they're saints is so we can look to them as models of sanctity for our own lives. So just so you know, that idea that the challenges of being a human being don't change just because of the shifting of technologies, that the saints can teach us something today based on how they experience these things in their own eras with their own contemporary challenges. That's actually the central theme of my New York Times bestselling book, Prayer in the Digital Age. Oh, yeah, I know. know. It's the central theme. Neat. Um, imagine that. Imagine, Imagine that. that. Well, I mean, that's something that you talk about, um, you, your grateful tweets. That's an Ignatian principle applied to it is indeed. X, formerly known as Twitter. It's uh, it's not applied well. X, The X is for Xavier. <laughs> Say Francis Xavier. Maybe that's what it Neat. was. Neat. 
But yeah, go. there are all kinds of ways. To... Elon, I say change it to AMDG and we'll be good. Oh, man. There you go. JMJ. You like changing names of stuff. We'll do yeah. that. It'd be awesome. All right. Well, we got headlines coming up after the break. Stay with us as the Sunrise Morning Show continues. It's 14 till. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Join us later today on Catholic Answers Live as we do our best to explain and defend the Catholic faith. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. The Israeli Defense Forces say they've destroyed 270 yards of tunnels under Gaza City's sprawling Shifa Hospital complex. Pope Francis had prayers once again for an end to conflicts around the world during his general audience yesterday, and in his catechesis, continued his new series on vices and virtues, focusing on spiritual combat. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, Executive Director of the Rua Woods Institute, getting another mini lesson based on their K through 12 theology of the body curriculum called Revealed. Courtney, welcome back. Oh, thank you. How are you doing this morning? I am doing fine and excited to talk to you about this. Uh, the lesson that we will be learning today comes from the third grade curriculum. But before we get into um, the the lessons on original solitude. I think it's important to note that in your uh, K through second grade curriculum, we have been talking about two different picture books that you use to sort of illuminate the principles from the theology 
of the body. And there's a shift once you get into third grade. Can you talk about that? Yes, that's actually correct. So in K-2, we do have the storybooks to depict some of these concepts we're trying to draw out. And that's just because of the when you deal with such complex issues and abstract thinking and stuff like that, stories just carry such a power to them. Right? I mean, it's, it's easy for us to remember a story than it is sometimes to remember all the facts and details or things that are going on. In fact, I, I heard at one time, um, this was just a biologist talking about the power of a story is how you would pass on facts like way back when and that we shouldn't forget that. So using those stories, kids inevitably know that and jesus told us stories in fact sometimes i appreciate those and it helps me understand the mysteries of, mm-hmm. of who he is and what he was doing um so in the same way we do that with students now we now move with the third grade through fifth grade as they're able to start to really grapple with some of the mystery not to the extent that you know as we get older and adults but at least kind of reflect as much as they can Uh, scripture we can start making, we start trying to break open the scripture passages that deal with these concepts, specifically in what JP2 was reflecting on in his catechesis. So in the third or fifth grade, we use one storybook, and this one was Mafaro's, you know, Daughters, which talked about this idea of virtue and between the the two sisters, yeah, and like, you know, what does it mean to be self-gift, and what does it mean to be a good person versus a person who chooses themselves and can be mean, you know? So now... It moves into reflecting on, it is original solitude, but what we do in the last three lessons of the third grade is we have them reflect through Genesis 2, especially 4 through 9, God forming us out of the clay and breathing his life into us. And then 16 through 20, which talks through that he's walking amongst the earth and kind of depicting Adam's relationship with the world, who he was destined for, which is relationship with God, and that in order to live that fully out at times, that he was destined us to be in community. So with that being said, what we do in the last three lessons is we walk them through what we call this uh, timeline. And it's a timeline of the human story. And that's really important to remember, that what we're really delivering here in the message of Theology of the Body is really satiating kids and teens and whoever in the human drama, in that human story. Like, where did we, where did we start? What's our origin? And then where are we now? And then what's our destiny? Yeah, so talk about this um, this Genesis timeline. Those watching the video stream, I'm holding up from the uh, the teacher resource book um, the the image that you use in in this little activity to help illuminate this. Can you talk about it, Courtney? Sure. So I believe it was Saint Bernard who said, "We can't know where we're going our destiny without our origin." So what, what we do in this activity is it's basically we have the kids draw, reflect, and write. And the first one, we really deal with, because original solitude deals with that question of who we are, our fundamental identity as sons and daughters of God, and that we're made for Him. So that idea of this is looking at our human story in relationship to God, we, start, we go through that reflection point. So the first one deals with, reflecting on the idea that you God has a purpose for you, he created you, you're unique, you have dignity, and we have them, um, the first, well, I think the first question deals with memory, like what's your first memory? Mm-hmm. And it's just really putting their third graders in this concept of wonder, the awe, the reflection, and then they draw the memory, and they're right on it. So it creates what essentially these three spots, as we walk them through certain reflection questions, they draw it down. So it creates that beginning 
timeline. So then the next one, we talk about the relationship breaking, right, between Adam and disobedience and what that did to God. And then we talk about the redemption that comes from Christ and how he redeemed us and built that bridge back to the Father. So we have them reflect on that and then their own personal, uh, I don't want to say personal sins is in the sense of, but just their own personal fallings at times and how God comes and redeems them. And then they, they create that part of their timeline to talk through this story. And then we go into the destiny, like where are we going? Um, and with this particular teaching, this is one that's hard, is that we're, our body matters. So we're experiencing all this through our body, and that Christ, when he rose from the dead, we really have him reflect on those stories about him actually having a body. And then when he ascends into heaven, it wasn't like this ghost that kind of you see on those like videos. It was a legitimate body ascending into heaven, and that he ate with the uh, he ate with the apostles. He drank, and he appeared. And so what what we're really showing is their destiny is to ultimately have their body in heaven after the second coming, and that's a huge teaching of the church. So what we're doing here in this timeline is really walking them through their own personal story and how that connects to the general human story of God's created man. So it's that it's that bridge, right, connecting those two things. And what a countercultural idea anymore in which uh, your body and soul are one, um, where there are so many that are trying to push a narrative that, you know, who you are is is your soul and, and your body might be rejecting who you really are. That's correct. And the funny thing about it is in order to make a case that you're not your body, you have to make it seem like there doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that, well, all the while you're feeling all of this in a body. Like, the, you know, if you're depressed, like you're feeling that, like there's something interior going on. Sure, you can talk about the chemical makeup or whatnot, but you're actually experiencing this, this, this depression in your body and that the Lord has made us for himself. And that experience yeah. for the body is in the body. And I remember talking to my friend, he was a, he's an atheist and we still conversate or whatnot, but we were talking through this. And he was saying, well, Courtney, I'm just, you know, all religion is, is just a psychological good feeling. And that's really all its purpose. And I said, well, I asked him this simple question. I said, if, let's just say that if God created us for himself, let's just assume he's there for this guy, right? Why would it not be beneficial for us in the body? Like, that's the point. Amen. <laughs> Amen to that. And uh, Rural Woods, in addition to having this curriculum, also has a psychological institute uh, with Dr. Andrew Sodegren, who is one of the foremost experts on gender identity issues through the lens of the theology of the body. Learn more about it at Rural Woods' website, which you can find linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Courtney Brown, thank you so much. Welcome. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.